Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. It is Monday, April the 13th, and thanks so much for tuning in here with me today. This is a whole new experience for me right now, starting the show at noon. Moved from uh, my usual 9 o'clock slot, so we're going to be doing this at noon from now on. So I'm a little bit out of whack. Uh, you know, first day back after a long weekend, moving to a new time slot. Going to be a bit of a shift for me, but uh, we'll get through it. We'll get we'll get through it. I think it's going to be a good move, and I'm hoping it will allow for some uh, participation from you listeners out there as well. Uh, maybe even we'll try that today. You know, I want to know sort of what people saw this weekend in terms of uh, you know just individuals being out and about and, and traveling and perhaps you know doing things maybe maybe they shouldn't be when we're all being asked to spend more time at home. Uh, you know, I've heard of a lot of uh, stories here about a number of Alberta plates that are being seen on the roadways and some concern that might arise with that. So. Uh, if you want to give me a call later on in the show, 250-374-5345. That's 250-374-5345. One more time, 250-374-5345. Uh, give me a call a little bit later, and we'll talk about what's going on here in Kamloops and any concerns that you guys out there might have when it comes to people not uh, listening to those social distancing guidelines that we have in place. But to kick off today's program, I'm talking a little bit about jobs here in British Columbia. Late last week, Finance Minister Carol James said that BC saw 132 thousand job losses in the month of March and unemployment was up to 7.2 percent. Joining me now to talk about this is senior economist and public interest researcher Iglika Ivanova. She's with the uh, Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives. Iglika, thank you so much for taking the time to join me here today. Thanks for having me. So just on a general analysis of those job figures that have been presented, I mean, uh, was there anything in there that came as a surprise to you? I, I, you know, when I was expecting some pretty drastic numbers, and, and really we ended up getting those. Well, I think it's important to remember, first of all, that these are drastic numbers. When we look at the number of people who have lost their jobs in a single month in D.C., this is by far the largest job loss. Um, that we've seen since the late 70s when the labor force survey was introduced. So it is uh, enormous by historical standards, even though it's not as large as some of the numbers we're seeing um, of people who are applying for the Canada Emergency Relief Benefit, um, which are four or five million Canadians. So, you know, obviously the number is not as big, but I think it's really important to remember that what the labor force survey data shows is only the very beginning of the disruptions in the BC workforce because the survey was actually done about the week of March 15th to March 21st. So that's almost immediately after the pandemic was declared. In the very early days, we didn't have all the orders to close businesses. We didn't have all the social distancing measures that we have in place today. So a number of people who um, reported still having a job in that week in March have probably lost their job by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And, and uh, Minister, Finance Minister Carol James kind of said as much in, in her speech there uh, on uh, on Thursday talking about, you know, that this is kind of almost just the tip of the iceberg and we can expect to see quite a bit more as uh, I assume a similar practice will be done towards the end of this month here in April. Uh, I guess what, what are you doing with this information right now? Like what, what exactly are you reading into these numbers as it stands right now and as we prepare for, for bigger job losses down the road? What, what exactly 
are you doing uh, at the CCPA with this data right now? Yeah, we have um, uh, dug into some of the uh, statistics on who is bearing the brunt of the labor market impact in in BC and Canada, and looking in more detail of who are the people who were first to lose their jobs, just to get an idea um, of what is happening in the labor market and to be able to assess how effectively the provincial and federal income supports that have been introduced would help these people. So we're seeing, um, one of the interesting things that we're seeing in the data already is that um, we have some record setting job loss numbers, monthly job loss numbers, but we also have a very large number of British Columbians uh, and Canadians who have the majority of their hours cut. So they're still employed, but they lost a lot of hours. And so in, in BC, for example, if you look at what percentage of all jobs were cut in March, that's only 5% or 1 in 20 jobs was lost. Just a huge number, actually, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. One in 20 jobs was lost, but 16% of the people who were working um, in February in BC had either lost their job or had their hours cut by more than 50% in March, uh, in, in the week of the survey. So we're seeing some very staggering numbers of people who are employed but working a few hours. And right now, that is a big concern because... Uh, as you and your listeners probably know, the way that the federal CERB benefit is designed, you have to have no income to be eligible. If you have lost most of your hours and most of your income, but not all, you will not be getting income support through that program. And that's a huge gap because as we're seeing uh, a lot of people losing hours but not losing um all of their income necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's important, really important to point out, right? When we're talking about these record job losses, uh, obviously, one, like you said, one in 20, a crazy high number of, of people who are finding themselves unemployed. But when you say 16%, uh, you know, are either unemployed now or uh, have had their hours cut back. So three in 20 people or a little above that is either lost their job entirely or has lost a number of hours, and that's not necessarily uh, always uh, laid out in the data that's presented by the province, right? They kind of want to, I don't want to say they want to skew things to look a little more positive, but uh, it definitely trends that way a, a little bit. Um, so, so how concerned should we be, be about this, you know, just from an economic standpoint? When you're going through these numbers and you're seeing people who are not losing their job but having hours cut back significantly and are not going to be able to qualify for some of these benefits, I mean, I, I've heard from a lot of people myself that they, they would almost rather get laid off than have their hours cut back, and I'm sure that's a story that you have heard as well. So um, I, I'm just sort of wondering where, where to take this from here. I mean, what can the province do? What are you doing to, um, you know, try to promote some, some changes in policy to make sure that people are able to get through this tough time when when maybe they haven't lost their job so they don't uh, qualify or, or look as um, impoverished as uh, someone else who may have been laid off, but they're clearly dealing with a, a difficult situation of their own. I think that's, that's exactly the right question. We're all looking at the numbers to try to identify gaps in coverage of the federal and provincial programs that have been announced. Uh, the good news that I've uh, I think people should be encouraged by that the federal government and the Prime Minister, uh, Justin Trudeau specifically, have, have said that they are aware of some of the gaps 
uh, with the program and they are looking to see how they might be able to extend eligibility or, or make some changes so people who have not lost all of their income but have lost significant chunk of their income or had their hours cut a lot um, will be able to get some support. And I hope that we will see some announcements on that front coming soon because the data that uh, we got from Statistics Canada shows that there are a lot of people in that group. There are a lot of people who have not completely lost their jobs yet, but have had uh, significant reductions in hours. And, and then that suggests reductions in income as well. Another way in which we're using the data, and, uh, and I think policymakers across the country are doing the same thing, or I hope they are, is looking at uh, exactly who the workers are. So we're seeing a lot of women for example, are losing their jobs or um, still employed but losing a lot of hours. And I think this, this will become even more pressing issues when the April statistics come out because the closures of childcare centers and schools will disproportionately fall on um, the shoulders of women to provide the, the child care mm -hmm. uh, at home and they won't be able to come back to work even if they did have a job they might right. not be able to work their usual hours so that has significant implications um, for their income and as we know you know in Canada um, entitlement for even for pensions for the CPP is based on your lifetime's worth of earnings so if you're earning less and you're working fewer hours that means you will get a lower pension you know, when you retire. Mm -hmm. So these things have long lasting consequences. And, um, and that's why it's important to provide appropriate income support for people. Um, yeah, another interesting uh, finding in the data that Statistics Canada remarked on in their own release was that a lot of the jobs that have been lost are the jobs that were precarious and underpaid to begin with. So we're seeing some people in temporary, casual, part-time jobs who don't work very many hours and who generally have lower wages are the first ones to lose their jobs. So um, this is very important um, in terms of designing benefits in Canada or income supports for the, the, the current pandemic because uh, a lot of these people have very little savings to begin with. They were already living paycheck to paycheck, so it'll be really crucial to see um, the provincial and federal government step in, stepping in with income support. So it just shows that um, the massive you know, new public programs that are being designed to support workers who've lost their jobs are needed, that they are important, they might have to be increased depending on how long the crisis lasts. Um, it shows that, you know, for example, probably more people will need uh, assistance to pay the rent than um, currently might be eligible for the temporary renter supplement in BC. So we'll see how these policies evolve and whether the provincial government um, makes some of their um, programs more generous for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just kind of have to play it all out and, and, and watch as it kind of changes over time. I mean, everyone's kind of reacting to everything as it, as it comes about. So uh, it's hard to say what things will look like, uh, you know, even, even a couple of days from now, let alone a month from now. And like we said, you expect the job numbers to continue to get worse as we go through April. Um, you, you did say you used some of this data to kind of look at what sectors were being um, either hit hardest or on the opposite scale, you know, which ones are kind of able to 
to uh, sustain or, or, or power through this crisis better than others. And I was just wondering if maybe we could uh, end on a bit of a positive note here. Um, and if you can't answer this, that's totally fine as well. But what, what sectors are you seeing as ones that seem a little bit more immune right now when it comes to those job losses they're not uh, you know they're not seeing those same numbers that we would see in things like you know retail and and uh, you know child care workers not being able to provide child care when everyone's at home you know what what sectors are you looking at that are having the opposite effect and are able to really sustain and power through this whole pandemic uh, well the sectors where they're doing uh, better in Canada and in BC are, are similar ones they are the ones that are not you know, the personal services or accommodation and, and food and retail, they are the manufacturing, the utilities, the public administration, um, and agriculture sectors that generally um, will be more resilient. Uh, of course, we're seeing a lot um, of demand in terms of uh, health services and healthcare, so, so that sector will probably continue to, mm-hmm. to be doing less worse <laughs> less badly than than others, but but in general, um, the goods producing sector has been more resilient so far. Of course, it depends, you know, um, how long the pandemic lasts. Uh, eventually, if if we cannot flatten the curve, you know, we would have to consider um, closing work camps, you know, on major construction projects. Uh, and such, but we're not there yet. And so mm-hmm. far in BC, the numbers do appear to be going in a more positive direction. So perhaps uh, this very deep recession and very deep um, job loss would be temporary, and we can return to um, what used to be a fairly strong job market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we hope we get there sooner than later. But, uh, yeah, in terms of predictions, I think all of those are off the table. Anything else that you want to add here, Glico, while I have you on the line? Uh, I mean, the other group that we haven't talked necessarily about is younger people. Uh, today's job numbers show that um, youth have lost a lot of jobs and they've some of the brunt of the early layoffs. There's a lot of concern about students graduating in this um situation of, of no jobs and a very weak labor market and again some concern that the federal and provincial benefits or income supports that exist right now don't cover students and young people as well um, so so that's another area where we should watch and make sure that we are protecting the younger people who are losing their jobs mm-hmm. and uh, are not able to find employment Mm-hmm, for sure. Well, thank you so much for your time. Always appreciate chatting with you, Iglika, and uh, yeah, have yourself a wonderful rest of the day. Really, really thank you for your time. Thank you. That was senior economist and public interest researcher Iglika Ivanova with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives and their BC office. Yeah, like I said, we had heard from uh, Finance Minister Carol James, who spoke to just how hard uh, the job sector was being impacted by COVID-19 and, and just how many job losses we saw in the month of March. And she said that they're likely to get a huck of a lot worse here in the month of April. Well, we're now almost halfway through the month, and I know a lot of people have been laid off in these past couple of weeks as well, so I'm positive that those numbers will get uh, far worse the next time we have those numbers relayed to us. Well, let's take a quick break. Coming up, Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee will be joining me, so stick around and we'll have more Jeff Andrea show after this. The voice of your community. Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas.
Welcome back to the show here on Monday. It is April 13th. Thanks so much for being with me here at uh, this new time slot for me. Uh, this whole day just feels a bit weird, but I'm sure it will feel more and more normal as this weekend, the month progresses. Now, as mentioned earlier, I'm opening up the phone lines here in a little bit of time. So I want to know just sort of what people out there saw this weekend in Kamloops and how you fe- you are all feeling about the restrictions that are in place and whether or not people are uh, following those restrictions. We have the hashtag and the lockdown, which was trending on Twitter today. So do you agree? Do you disagree? I'd like to hear from you. 250-374-5345. That's 250-374-5345. Well, of course, it is Monday, and that means I am joined on the phone now by Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, thanks so much for taking the time. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Happy uh, belated uh, long weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some people get today off, so for some out there, they're still enjoying it. But for us, uh, we got to come back to work and, and do our thing here. So, uh, but I do appreciate you being flexible and coming on at a new time here with me. So, um, of course, one of the big stories coming out of this weekend, I've talked about it a couple of times now, um, was this issue out of Vancouver of a gentleman who was seen in uh, in an elevator here in a condo building. He actually spat on the control panel as he was getting ready to get out of the elevator. It was um, kind of a a pretty gross uh, little video to watch. It didn't take very long to watch, but it definitely uh, sparked quite a bit of reaction. So uh, first and foremost, I guess just when you saw that video, what, what was the first thing that went through your head? Uh, what could he possibly be thinking? I mean, what would compel a person to do that, to expose all of those other people to whatever germs are in his body? You know, pandemic aside, it's disgusting and inappropriate anytime. Yeah, exactly, right? It doesn't matter what the situation is globally or in your own community. I mean, that's just something that no one wants to see happen in any way, shape, or form, uh, regardless of what sort of medical health issues are at the forefront. And, and particularly now, I think, you know, just everyone's concerns are a little bit more heightened with, with the things that are going on. So um, what, what do you think in a situation like that uh, should should be the legal action taken in, that, in a case like that? I mean, um, you know, this gentleman has since apologized, and he said it happened about eight days ago and you know he says he's going to go and get some counseling for himself so we'll see if that actually happens although we'll probably never actually find out but just in terms of the initial i guess legal consequences to something like like this uh, what are you, what are your thoughts what are your opinions on kind of where the situation should go how should it be handled well, in a situation like this, if the police were to become involved, uh, identify the individual and arrest him, he could be facing charges of mischief, um, including charges related to mischief uh, potentially endangering life. Um, there are specific charges that uh, the criminal code contemplates for circumstances where, where people interfere with the lawful use or enjoyment of property and do so in a way that could put others at health risks, like spitting on things can obviously do. Yeah, and now this this gentleman, like I had said, has come out and apologized and said he's going to go seek counseling for, uh, I guess, whatever issues he's dealing with in life. He said uh, at one point, I guess, there was a dispute he was having with some of the other owners in the condo building, um, you know, but I guess it doesn't really matter what the circumstances are. There's really no reason for anyone to go about, you know, taking on these kinds of actions and, and uh, in this case, spitting on the elevator control panel, which of course, a lot of different people use. Uh, when, when someone, if, if someone were to ever get charged in a situation like this, I guess, how, what would, what would that do for, from your perspective, you know, as a defense lawyer, how would you go about sort of looking at this particular situation? I know in, in this case, he has already kind of talked about his concerns about potentially his own mental health. I mean, what, what sort of things, I guess, do you start with when looking into how to defend someone who might be, uh, uh, you know, being charged with something in a, in a situation like this? 
Well, definitely you'd want to start with, you know, getting the person counseling, ensuring that they're taking responsibility for what they're doing and seeing if they can complete what's known as alternative measures or diversion, which is a program where people do some circumstances to sort of repair the harm that they've done to their community. He's obviously making a donation to the Strata Council to pay for the cost of the cleaning. All of those things would be the type of thing you'd see in an alternative measures plan. And so legally speaking, you know, what his lawyer has announced he's willing to do and, and the steps that they're taking looks like they're setting it up for if he gets charged, um, uh, some type of alternative measures to be used. Now, you probably wouldn't expect someone to be charged for this. I mean, I know it is a gross act and, and no one wants to see it happen, but uh, probably pretty difficult to lay any sort of criminal charges in something like this. It might not be. I mean, the video clearly shows who this individual is. If people are able to identify him and police get that information, they may be interested in forwarding charges to the prosecution. And Crown Counsel might be interested in laying charges because there's a public interest given the amount of attention this incident has garnered and also the need to deter other people from doing stupid things like that in the future. I mean, this isn't the only individual that's, you know, spat on something since we've had this, this pandemic. There's lots of instances is recorded on social media of people behaving in such an inappropriate way. And, you know, this is the type of person and circumstance where police and Crown might want to make an example of him to try and prevent future incidents. Yeah, in this one, I guess one thing that really kind of sticks out in this particular case is, right, it happened in an elevator. He was the only person in there at the time. Uh, probably, well, definitely thought nobody was going to be watching or getting any sort of uh, video footage of him doing these actions. But like you said, we have seen a lot of these uh, kinds of incidents taking place in, in, in other forms, whether it be, you know, people at the grocery store who are having arguments with, with clerks and tellers and, you know, starting to cough on them and things along those lines. I guess sort of all of that would uh, would 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 fall under the same sort of umbrella here when talking about just a potential endangerment to the public, right? We've seen, uh, I think it was someone who was caught speeding uh, in the States. I don't have the exact case off the top of my head here, but, you know, he was basically saying to the cop, like, oh, you're going to get coronavirus if you come too close to me trying to get out of some kind of speeding ticket. So, I mean, is that, I guess all of these kinds of incidents fall under the same sort of uh, umbrella here when just talking about uh, not mischief, but uh, public endangerment, I suppose. Yep, and there are charges um, that can be laid for common nuisance where people do something that in, endangers the public and just generally create a nuisance by doing so. Um, so there's lots of avenues that are available to prosecutors and police in investigating these incidents. And people think that because we have a pandemic that police are afraid of, of prosecuting them, but our legal system has already thought ahead and thought through that. And the pandemic isn't going to be, you know, a way to get out of criminal or irresponsible behavior scot-free. I'm sure there are some people out there who are hoping that that is the case, but I know we have had many discussions about, you know, how this this two-month uh, little break here from the court's judicial system is, is going to have, uh, not not really going to, to change a whole lot, right? Things are going to just be pushed ahead. A lot more people are going to be uh, going probably by video once this whole thing um, resolves itself, or at least, you know, we see people start to, um, you know, slowly be allowed to interact with each other once again. So, um, yeah, I don't really have any follow-up question in regards to that, but yeah, this whole
whole thing, I'm sure, has a lot of people thinking they might be able to get away with a lot of stuff, given that there aren't as many people in the streets, there aren't as many eyes on everyone at all times. But, um, you know, they just clearly, uh, there's clearly cameras in a lot of places, and they're going to catch people uh, who are uh, doing these types of things and, and doing these silly actions. So uh, I think that's important for everyone to remember that uh, just because you are alone doesn't necessarily mean that you actually are, which uh, kind of can be scary, but uh, that is really the, the world we live in here in, in 2020. Um, Kyla, well, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate you coming on at a new time. Maybe before I let you go, you know, it's been, uh, what, three weeks? Maybe even more than that now. I can't keep track of the timeline since you had your presumptive diagnosis for COVID-19, but uh, just, just how are you feeling? How is the recovery process been for you? I am completely symptom-free now um, for several days. Um, I think like five or six days now of, of no symptoms. So I, I'm officially determined that I'm completely recovered and so able to resume, you know, as normal a life as possible with all of the other restrictions that are still in place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we're all going through that that in some way, shape, or form together. So glad to hear that you're feeling better now and and uh, you know you're you're subject now to the same rules as everyone else who's not. Uh, under those mandatory quarantines. So hopefully you can get some groceries and, and the like and, and enjoy somewhat of a relatively normal life compared to being stuck at home, not being able to move for a full 14 days. At least you can kind of get out and about in a little, yeah. little ways <laughs> here and there. Thank you so much for doing this, Kyla. Really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can do it again next week. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yes, as always. That was Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. Kyla, thank you so much for doing that. Really do appreciate it. Of course, usually she would be on, uh, you know, around uh, 9.20-ish on Monday. So uh, now it's going to be around 12.30. So we'll change things up a little bit, but everything's going to continue. And, and I really appreciate Kyla there being flexible. Well, let's take a quick break here. Um, like I said, I want to open up the phone line. So hopefully we can get some people to call in. I just want to know sort of what you have seen over the course of this long weekend. Was there a lot of activity going on in your neighborhood? Are you, uh, you know, making that push to end the lockdown as so many people are uh, now trying to push on us. Let me know. Give me a call 250-374-5345. That's 250-374-5345. I'll be back with more Jeff Andrea show after this. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the show here on Monday the 13th. Hope everyone was able to get some enjoyment out of this long weekend. I know uh, I was not too happy about the weather on Saturday. It was insanely windy in downtown Kamloops. Thursday was beautiful. Friday was a nice spring day, but then Saturday not so nice. And then Sunday rebounded a little bit. But, uh, you know, not an awful weekend weather-wise, but uh, one that I felt could have been a little bit more, um, you know, nicer out there. Couldn't help us enjoy this long weekend. Uh, well, of course, though, when it comes to nicer weather, that means more people are out and about when it comes to a long weekend. That's usually the case. So if you want to give me a call, let me know what uh, you saw here over the course of this weekend, whether you had any concerns or felt, even if you just thought everyone was kind of abiding by the rules in a, in a real good manner, give me a call. 250-374-5345. 250-374-5345. Now, uh, yeah, like I said, when it comes to the fact that it was a long weekend, many people, like I said, had plans to hit the road and take part in those weekend activities, visiting family, going camping, hiking, sightseeing, whatever was that you had planned. Hopefully you are a responsible individual, canceled or postponed those plans, or if you did decide to go for a hike, hopefully you were, you know, hitting the orders that we did get here uh, from Mayor Ken Christian late last week. When it comes to our own parks here in Kamloops, uh, Mayor Ken Christian gave some advice here on Thursday. 
92,000 visits to our nature park so far this year and they're an important part of people getting out and getting some exercise but do it the right way uh, stay away from uh, other people give up the right of way on the trails and when you get back look for ticks yeah so hopefully when you went out and uh, you know walked the trails here in Kamloops over the course of this weekend that was the experience that you had that you saw people giving up the right of way that you uh, you know had people giving that two meters of buffer room that two meters of cushion that we have been asked to give I know everyone will just feel a little bit more comfortable if we do abide by these rules I know myself I've been in the grocery store and I've seen people um, you know maybe getting a little bit too close for comfort in certain situations I'm not necessarily that terrified of this infectious disease that we're dealing with here but it doesn't change the fact that we have been asked to abide by certain rules and when people are sort of ignoring those rules it does provide a little bit of hesitance when going out into those public spaces now I had BC Health Minister Adrian Dix on the program on Thursday and he sort of was talking about just you know how this weekend was going to be a real critical one in this fight against the novel coronavirus. This is a, a really important weekend. I think that, and, and the cost is still being felt, I think, uh, from this. I'm confident that they're going to, but we have to, keep, we have to keep the pressure on. This is unprecedented in my lifetime, absolutely unprecedented. I'm 55. We've never seen anything like this. And uh, so we need to continue to come together so that all the sacrifice people are making, Camels and everything else, everywhere else, yeah, so like I said, I mean, Adrian Dix, of course, was uh, pretty hopeful that people were going to take the precautions seriously heading into this long weekend and people weren't going to be doing as much traveling and visiting as, of course, would normally come with the first long weekend of spring. We see a lot of people get very excited to get out to their cottages, their summer homes, and, and experience what the, the weather is out there by the lakes and all of the parks and all of that fun stuff. But, of course, uh, this is not a normal time, so it was not a normal long weekend for a lot of individuals. And, um, you know, I, I, there is one thing that I saw coming out of this weekend, too, that, that really bugged me. And, of course, not everybody, like, is, is everyone knows, not everyone's abiding by the rules in the same way. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, when it comes to how people are feeling about this, like I said, I know there was the uh, hashtag end the lockdown that was trending on Twitter here earlier today. I'm sure it is still trending out there in Canada right now. And I'm not even necessarily sure I should give this guy any um, media attention here, but there was this guy in Vancouver here over the course of the weekend who decided it would be a good idea to protest these stay at home restrictions. So let's just take a quick listen. We're here in downtown Vancouver for a massive march against tyranny. Look at all the people. A number of Vancouverites aren't drinking the Kool-Aid, and they're getting out and they're getting together here to show the world that we're not okay with unlawful or for orders and, and quarantines and lockdowns. Yeah, now I think it's important to note that, uh, you know, when this guy says, look at all the people, he flashes his camera to a street corner uh, where it has between maybe 10 and 15 individuals taking part. So, yeah, I don't know about all the people that this guy was talking about. He had a couple of friends, I guess, who were on his side when he came to this thing and were willing to go to a street corner and protest with him. But, uh, yeah, not a whole lot of support I don't think this guy was getting. Um, so, yeah, hopefully uh, people out there are uh, taking these orders seriously are avoiding travel if they can. Of course, like I keep saying, this long weekend I think is going to be a pretty significant one in terms of how we come out of COVID-19 moving forward. I think in the next 7 to 10 days, when the numbers will be, you know, at this time next week, we'll be telling, we'll know just how much people did pay attention to those orders that have been set in place. Did we listen to our uh, provincial health officer who said avoid any non-essential travel? Like I said, I know there were a lot of people out there who are complaining about seeing too many Alberta license plates. I mean, maybe those people just moved to BC and haven't changed their license plate yet, or 
maybe they were in fact actually uh, you know crossing that provincial border despite the facts that we were asked not to do so um, definitely some some concern out there about that so we'll see sort of where the numbers go from here uh, like uh, in our news run here earlier today as well we know that out in Sun Peaks Mayor Al Rain was saying that they saw a few guests come out to their community but not very many so he was pretty content with uh, how people were taking the rules seriously and, and abiding by them and, uh, and avoiding those travel to those unnecessary places and particularly those smaller communities that maybe don't have the capacity to deal uh, with, uh, with any significant outbreaks the same way that those bigger centers do. All right. Well, on that happy note, uh, it's time for me to wrap things up. So I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. No callers here today. Maybe we'll try it again next week. Have yourself a, a great rest of your Monday. I'll be back here tomorrow on Tuesday at noon.